Okay. Okay, good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Men, I hope you enjoy those gifts we've given you today. I read something just this week, totally random how it came up in what I was reading. It wasn't what I was researching, but it made a comment about the pork scratchings that we put in your bag. And this guy who I was reading with said he knew a doctor friend and pork scratchings apparently were described by this doctor as the one food stuff that has absolutely no nutritional value whatsoever. They still taste awesome and we love them, but just, just know that when you're eating it. That's why we put an apple in there as well. So they can balance each other out. So you've got that today. I hope you enjoy um, that gift from us as a church. Now, what I want to look at today is um, this whole idea of tidying our house. I don't know if you've ever had your house in a mess. We had recently, we'd been away with the family, we'd been away camping. I don't know if you like going camping as a family. We've discovered it with two small boys that going away camping can be an awful lot of fun. They get to be outside, run around, we get to cook over fires, we get to do those kind of things and we're away from home and the TV and and electricity and all that kind of thing. We're just out there having fun. And recently we camped as a church and uh, we had a great time at the Catalyst Festival and then we came back. But the problem is when you spend some time camping is what happens to your house when you come back? Because you have all your camping equipment which is like your tent and other bits and pieces and the sleeping bags and the, the air bed you're sleeping on and the clothes that you had with, they're usually pretty grimy covered in grass because you've been outside a lot. Anything that you've cooked with those kind of utensils. But because we'd been camping with the church, we got back at our house a lot of the church equipment as well, some of the stuff we'd use for cooking. So in our kind of our kitchen, diner area, there was just piled high with stuff. I was bringing it all out the car. And then we also got some of the lost property that was left behind. What do you do with the lost property? We give it the leader. He'll know what to do with it. So we had a pile of lost property. And like, oh, what do we do with this? And so we remember coming back and we finally think we finished camping. It wasn't it great. We had a wonderful time. But then I walked into my house and I looked at the mess and it's like, oh my goodness, we now have to tidy this. We now have got to put this back in order what it was. And so we spent the next day or so just going through Mel put loads of stuff through the washing machine, we tidied stuff up, we boxed stuff up, we put it back to where it went and we basically set everything back in order and there was a moment kind of 28, 48, 24, 48 hours after we'd arrived home when everything was tidy again and I could finally be like, ah, we finished, we finished our camping trip, wasn't it a great time but everything's back the way it should be and what I want to look at today just for you, particularly for the men but actually it's applicable to all of us is how are you going to tidy your house? Other areas of your house that are in a bit of a mess that need to be worked out. And what I want to look at is a story of the guy in the Bible who was in this situation when there were some things in his life that were a little bit of a mess and he had to do a lot of work to tidy things up, get stuff back in order so he could carry on following God. So if you've got a Bible, can you turn to 2 Kings chapter 18? In the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 18. If you don't have your Bible with you, that's fine. It's going to appear on the screen behind me and I'm going to read it to you. Read the story. Now, a little bit of a background to this passage before we dive in, just to context it in the overall story of the Bible. What we have is we have God's people that God wanted from the beginning. We have Adam and Eve in the garden. God said to them, grow, multiply, number. I want more of you. I want a people for myself. And so they started to do that, but of course it all went wrong, they sinned, they rebelled, and therefore they were under God's right judgment for their rebellion. 
but then thrown out of the garden. But then God went to a man named Abraham and said, I'm going to use you to bless the nations of the world. Your, your descendants, Abraham, are going to become like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And God kept his promise to Abraham and his sons and that family. And eventually they grew into a mighty nation. There was a million plus of them. But unfortunately at that point they were down in the land of Egypt and they were in slavery. If you follow the book, the story of Genesis, that's what happens. At the end they end up in Egypt, but they've grown, they're now in slavery. So God sends a man named Moses and he says to Pharaoh, let my people go. And through signs and plagues and the parting of the Red Sea, the people of God come out of Egypt. And it's a wonderful story of God's grace and deliverance on his people and keeping his promise. Saying, you're going to be a mighty people and I'm going to give you the land I promised to Abraham. So they then wander in the wilderness, a few other problems. They then settle in the land. We're going through the book of Joshua now as a church. We're looking at that particular story. They settle in the land and eventually out of that grows a kingdom. And the first king of Israel was a man named Saul. He was then followed by a man named David, who's very famous, defeated the Goliath, one of the greatest kings in Israel's history. He then had a son named Solomon, who was also king over Israel, very wise. He wrote much of the Proverbs in the Bible, and we have books of, of his wisdom. But then after that, it all went belly up, because the people of God rebelled, they couldn't get on, and the kingdom split. And you have the northern kingdom called Israel, and the southern kingdom called Judah, And basically there was animosity between the two kingdoms because of their sinfulness. And then what you have is in both kingdoms a series of kings kind of squabbling, fighting, saying they're the true kings. And basically they were pretty much all bad. In the northern kingdom of Israel they had king after king after king after king. He was just bad and bad and worse and worse and worse and horrible. Until eventually the kingdom of Israel was destroyed. In the southern kingdom you had king after king after king after king. He was just bad but occasionally... I think there's about five in all that were a bit of a bright light, which is what we're going to look at. So today we're going to look at King Hezekiah, who was one of the anomalies. He was a king of Judah in the southern kingdom from the line of David, but he was a good king. So let's read the passage. You pop up. It says, In the third year of King Hosha, um, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahad, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, had done. And he removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. And he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made, for until those days the people of God had made offerings to it, in which it was called Neshuantan. That's a funny name. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but he kept the commandments that the Lord God commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him wherever he went out. He prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and wouldn't serve him. He struck down the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territories from watchtower to fortified city. All right, let's... Look at this guy, Hezekiah. The first thing to notice of, he did not have the best start in life, King Hezekiah. It says he was a good king, which was unusual. He came to be king at a fairly young age. He was was 25 when he became um, the king. So he was pretty youngish, but he did not have the best start in life. What did that mean? Well, the first thing, he didn't come from a godly family. What we might say, he didn't come from a Christian family. His parents definitely weren't Christians. In fact, the opposite was true. His father, if you read the passage, was a man named Ahaz, who was the previous king in Judah, and he was bad. He was very bad. The Bible actually describes him as just plain evil. 
He was a horrible man. It says in 2 Kings 16, just a couple of chapters previously, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. It said Hezekiah did, his dad didn't. So he had a bad example. It says he sacrificed his own son to false gods. That's what Ahaz did. That would have been Hezekiah's brother. I don't know which one, we don't know his name. It just says that. Some of these despicable practices around at the time that had infiltrated God's kingdom involved child sacrifice, many other hideous practices, sexual immorality and the like. But that was one of them. And it says, King Ahaz sacrificed his son to these false gods. Hezekiah was his other, one of his other sons. It said he made ungodly alliances with foreign powers, one of them being Assyria. Assyria was a vast superpower at the time, pagan, did not honor the God of Israel, were involved in all these horrible practices. They actually were the kingdom that destroyed Israel, the northern part of God's people. But King Ahaz made alliances with them for kind of protection, cozied up to them. So he wasn't great. Hezekiah also wasn't that old as well, as we mentioned. So he had this really bad example, really poor family background. He also wasn't very old at the time, and he hadn't had an opportunity to learn from others around him, maybe who, had, who were godly, who could teach him. We've got kids' work going on there. Where we, we send the kids out, and we have godly teachers who just teach them the way. See what the Bible says, teach them how to live their lives according to the words of Jesus. Ahaz wouldn't have had any of that. If you think what his family was like, what his father was like, couldn't have had that. And then finally, he witnessed the destruction of the northern kingdom of Israel. It says in the beginning of the passage, that king, he was the last king of Israel, the last king of that northern kingdom. Assyria came and effectively nuked it. It utterly flattened Israel, wiped out its inhabitants. The ones that were left were scattered, and it, it basically ceased to exist in history from that point. The only thing that was left was the southern kingdom of Judah, which had a few of the tribes in it. So he had witnessed that during his reign. And it says in one, uh, 2 Kings 17, the previous chapter, the reason God allowed that was because they'd followed these evil practices, they hadn't repented of the sin, and therefore they were under God's judgment. So literally, Hezekiah had a front row seat to utter devastation of his wider family, his people group, if you will. They were utterly wiped out, um, kind of, and he had to witness that. That was a part of it. And so in terms of him starting as um, a king, he didn't have the best start. He didn't have many practical examples of what it meant to follow God. He was witnessing stuff around it which was horrific. And so life for him would have been a bit of a mess. But yet, what, what does it say in verse 3? It says, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David, King David, his father, had done. So in the face of these overwhelming obstacles, he made a choice. He made a choice to follow God. And he said, no matter what my background is, no matter what's happened to me, no matter what's going on, I am going to follow the God of Israel. I'm going to follow the God of my fathers. I'm going to go to the follow of my forefathers. Going way back to Abraham. Follow the whole story. That's the choice he made. And there's a, there's a challenge for us today. If we're going to tidy our house up and make sure everything is ordered, it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what's happened up to this point. You could have had a really good upbringing. You could have had a really good story to this point. You could have had a completely messed up one. You could have had bad influences, bad parenting, absent all those kind of things. But the point is, what choice are you going to make right now? 
What's your choice you're going to make today? Because when Hezekiah became king of Judah, he had a choice to make. And he wasn't going to let his past influence it. He wasn't going to let his dad, who'd murdered his brother, on an altar to a false god influence. He was going to choose to follow the God of Israel. And I want to challenge you guys today. What choice are you making? Are you letting your past dictate where you're going now? Or are you stopping, standing, saying, no, I am going to choose to follow God all the days of my life, regardless of what's happened in the past? So I want to look at three things now that Hezekiah did to tidy his house. As you can see, it was in a little bit of a mess. And he was now king of the people of Judah. And actually, what did he do? And there were three things. I just want to look through them and hopefully apply some stuff to our life and then we'll round out. All right, the first one. He restored and he removed. He restored and he removed. It says in verse 4, he removed the high places, broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. So what this would have been, would have been all around the, the, the nation of Judah at the time, even in the temple itself in Jerusalem in the capital, there would have been these altars to false gods, altars that people would have used to sacrifice their children, practice horrific sexual acts, do all sorts of evil things, would have been all over the place. And the first thing Hezekiah does when he comes, he says, no, I'm having them all removed. I'm kicking them out of my kingdom. They aren't here. They have no place they need to go. I am just throwing them out. And he would have had the authority. He was in charge. It was his house, if you will. And he said, no, this, these don't have any place. He probably sent pet people around, soldiers or whatever, and they'd have just torn them down, burnt them, thrown them out. He said, I'm not having them here. The second thing he said he did, he said he destroyed the bronze serpent. Now this Funny reference, it's referring to a story way back in the book of Numbers. So this is like hundreds of years before. And there's a story when Moses was leading the people out of um, Egypt. So that's happened. They're now in the wilderness. Okay? And God is leading them to the promised land where they're now settled. Where this story is They're in the promised land. During that period, the people, unfortunately, were like people. And they started to moan and grumble at Moses. And they were moaning and groaning about all sorts of things. They moaned and grumbled about there was no food, even though God provided, and, it, you know, and things were going on, and it's not as nice as it was in Egypt, although Egypt was where we were in slavery, and we had to murder our own kids and throw them in the Nile because that's what fairy asses. So they had these funny views, and they were, just, they were always grumbling at God. And God said, finally just said, enough, stop. And what it said in judgment, it said God sent snakes into the camp as a way of judging the people. And they bit people and people started to die. And of course, in that thing, people freaked out. And what they did is they repented of their sin. They realized, oh my goodness, we, are, we have been so offensive to God who's done so much to us and been so gracious and so kind and so good to us. And he said to God, spoke to Moses, because the people have repented, I want you to make a bronze serpent, a bronze snake, stick it on a pole in the middle of the camp and anyone who looks at it will be fine, will be healed. And so Moses did that, and what, guess what happened? People looked at it in faith, and they were well. And the, the kind of, it ended at that point, the whole thing ended. But clearly the people of Israel had kept said bronze serpent, because it was like it was there, it was a physical object. So they'd obviously kept it down the years. And what had happened is, from, rather than from being an act of faith, and looking at that, and trusting in God to heal you, it had become the object of their worship. So people had now taken this snake thing, put it up, they've given it a name, which I struggled to pronounce, and they started worshipping it. 
So something that was a good thing had now become a God thing. They'd taken this thing that God had used to heal them and now they were starting worshipping it in the place of God. How ridiculous is that? And so what does Hezekiah do? He says, destroy it. I'm not sentimental. I'm not giving you an opportunity to stumble and not be worshipping the one true God. He just says, just rip it up, destroy it, tear it down. I don't know if they burnt it or broke it up or crushed it, whatever they did. But he said, I'm not having that around here to lead people astray. And so they don't put their faith and trust in God. They put their faith and trust in some man-made object. How ridiculous is that? The third thing Hezekiah did was he restored worship in the temple, which would have declined over the years. If you read your Bible, there's another book called two, 1 and 2 Chronicles. You've got 1 and 2 Kings and 1 and 2 Chronicles. They are actually parallel stories of the history of people of God. But they're just done from slightly different perspectives. So you can read this story of Hezekiah in 2 Chronicles as well, because it just accounts it. But it's done from a slightly different perspective, more from the priestly perspective. And if you go there, 2 Chronicles 29, you read about Hezekiah. And what he did in restoring, not, he didn't just remove all the bad stuff, he re- restored the positive things. So he went to the temple. And he, first of all, he cleansed it. He got all the stuff out of it that shouldn't have been there. So he restored that. He restored um, the sacrifices that would have been in, the daily sacrifices that would have happened um, to atone for the people's sins and all the things that are counted in the, in the law. He did that. He restored the Passover, which was the one key festival in the, hist- in the, the, the kind of year of the people of God, which remembered the, the leaving of Egypt. It points through to the death of Christ. It was massive, but obviously that had fallen out of favor. He said, restore that. You're going to start in- we're going to have the Passover every year. We're going to celebrate God's deliverance of his people from Egypt and out of slavery. We're going to do that. He restored um, the worship in the temple with the priests. So he got the priests back in order and said, right, we've got to have a proper priesthood from the tribe of Levi and they've got to serve and worship at the temple and offer the sacrifice and do on that. So he put everything back in order that would have fallen out um, of uh, favor under his father who wouldn't have cared about that and wouldn't have given any interest in that. He did everything he could to restore worship in the, into the life of the people of God and his own life. He got rid of what was bad and he put in what was good. And there's a challenge for us here. If we're going to tidy our house... What do we need to do in terms of worship? What do you need to throw out? What do you need to pull down and destroy? Because the tendency of all of us, the question isn't whether we will worship, the question is what will we worship? Because we all worship something. And you can choose to worship God or you can choose to worship something else. We worship our jobs, we worship money, we worship uh, position, authority, status, we worship sex. You go to Russia now, there's quite a lot of worship going on, isn't there? At the World Cup. I have watched it, yeah, it's good. But there's, you can see that, kind of, where people want to worship, they love to worship. What is in your life that you need to pull down? What are the things, what are the good things? Because many of these things are good things. There's nothing wrong with football, and there's nothing wrong with work, and there's nothing wrong with sex, and there's nothing wrong with you know, your kids or positions or anything. There's nothing wrong with possessions. God's given us them to enjoy. But the problem is when good things become God things, and we start worshipping the serpent, rather than looking at the one who provided it, behind it, everything goes wrong. And the challenge here today is what is it you're worshipping? What is it that needs to be 
down? What needs to be removed from your life? And only you know that. And I imagine God by Spirit is now poking things in your life. You know what they are? Jot it down. Make a note. Say, I need to deal with that. I need to repent. I need to put it down. I need to get out of the way. I need to put it back in its proper place in my life. Are there things you need to restore? Are there things you need to put in place? Are there things you need to reorder, tidy up to make sure they're working? Just like Hezekiah did. What about your, our Sunday gatherings here? Are you prioritizing them in your kind of your week, in your calendar, meeting together with the people of God, worshiping God? It is nothing like gathering with people of God and just praising Him together. I thought it was outstanding this morning. Our band leaders so well, but just being a, a gathered people, worshiping and praising Jesus and just saying, You are amazing hearing the stories of what he's done and just celebrating and enjoying that. Is that something that is a priority in your life? Is it something you look forward to and say, hey, we've got to get to church. We've got to get there. We've got to get there on time. We've got to get there ready to go. We've got to be there. When that countdown kicks out, we're ready. Let's go. Let's worship God together. Let's put our you know, focus on him. What about the times when we gather to pray and worship we do that every so often. We gather as a church, particularly we say, we're going to worship God and we're going to pray together. We have those times. You prioritize those times. There's something you need to reorder in your life. Because I can tell you, I've never been to a prayer meeting in this church where I haven't felt left feeling uplifted. Sometimes it can be tough getting there. <laughs> you're tired and, you're, and I'm leading them. You know, you kind of, oh, God, there's so many other things on, on. I'd rather, you know, early night be so much better. I'm tired. Well, newsflash, everyone's tired all the time. You know, there's always other things on, but actually going and worshiping God and praying and just being around God's people is vital. What about in your own daily life, living a life of thankfulness and praise and honoring God for everything in times of your own times of prayer? I've made a point all this year, whenever I kind of try and write my journal every day, I always have to I force myself to start with, what am I thankful for? Just to be thankful for anything that I can think about the previous day, just to praise God for. And just write it down, just to say, just to cultivate my heart that I'm thankful and I'm a worshiper and I love you, God. Challenge you, guys, what are you doing to put that in life? What are you doing in your family to lead them in worship? What are you doing with your children if you have them to lead them in worship, to put things in place? What do you need to remove and what do you need to restore? All right, second thing. He read. He read, it says in verse 5, He trusted the Lord, the God of Israel, so there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not part from following, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. God, uh, Hezekiah took God's word seriously. The reference there, the kind of law of Moses, would be reference to the first five books of the Bible. There may have been more, depending on what was actually written at his time. <laughs> Because not all of the Old Testament would have been written by the time Hezekiah came around. Definitely not two kings, because he's starring in it at this point. So that wouldn't have all been completed. But there would have been definitely been the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses, written, and that's what they would have looked at. That's what he had done. And it says he held fast. There's a key. That's like gripping onto something. You're just you're holding tightly, not letting go. Our youngest son, Asher, has taken to climbing trees and he really enjoys it. When we take him to school in the morning, there's a tree in the playground that he loves to go and climb on. He goes every day and climbs on this tree and there's a branch that he hangs on and he says, Daddy, look at me, I'm climbing and he's gripping, he's holding fast to this branch and kind of swinging. And I, my response as a parent is, hold on, 
you know, don't just, ah, you know, hold on tight. And he's, that's the point, that's the image. He's gripping onto something. He is not going to let it go. It is holding him up. It's his safety. The fact that he's gripping onto this branch before he puts his feet down and gets his balance back. And that's what the image here is. Hezekiah held fast to God's word. He gripped it tightly. It's a picture of devotion, a picture of I am going to set my heart towards this. And as a result of reading God's word, of following his commands, it shaped his life. How do you think he knew about what he had to do with the temple and restoring the Passover and the priesthood and clearing out all the other junk. How do you think he knew that? Well, he'd read it somewhere. He'd have had it laid down. Oh, yeah, look, if I read the book of Leviticus, I can see this stuff. He'd have probably read in Numbers. He'd have got to chapter 21, although he wouldn't have called it chapter 21 because they wouldn't have had chapter 21. But he read, there's a story about here about Moses and a bronze serpent and people responding in faith and being healed. And the serpent's still here and they're worshipping it and they've given it a dumb name. What's going on? Right, we're ripping that out, pulling that down. Because that's not what God wanted us to do with the serpent. So he would have read it in God's word and it would have shaped his life. It would have given him direction. If you think who his father was, would he have been taught the word of God growing up? Probably not. But actually now he's man. He said, I'm going to make this decision for myself. I'm going I'm to I'm go after it. I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to read it. And so the application for us here is, what do you need to do to tidy your house in terms of reading God's word? Is there anything that you need to get in order? Is there something you need to just set right? The question the beg is, are you giving time to holding fast to God's word? Are you reading it regularly, men? Are you leading your families in it? If you have families, is it something that is a priority in your life? Could you say with integrity, like Hezekiah, I hold fast to God's word. I read it. I know it, I know what it says, and therefore it influences my life, how I live, how I act, how I lead my life, how I act, how I work, and uh, how my relationships are, and how my parenting is, what I think is sin and what I don't think is sin, how I affect and I interact with those things. How are you doing? Well, our focus this year as a church is to be a church that are reading the Bible and praying every day. That's what we've done. We suggested losing the, the, the app on your phone that can help you or you can read Bible plans. There's a whole bunch of ways of doing it. But are you doing it? Are you getting into it? Are you reading it regularly? Because the Bible is, it's our light so we can see where we're going. It's our guide so we don't, don't go off course. It's our plumb line to make sure everything is straight in our life and not crooked and skew with. It's the bread that gives us life, we find out. All these things are vital. And if we're not people who read the God's word, then we can't be changed by it. Because the word transforms us, makes us more like Christ. It trains us, it rebukes us, it corrects us, it conforms us, it molds us into the image of Jesus. That's what it does. And so we need to be men and women who are focused on God's word and reading it and prioritizing it above other things in our life. Last one. He rebelled. He rebelled. It says, verse 7, And the Lord was with him. Whenever he went out, he prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and wouldn't serve him. And he struck down the Philistines. Interestingly, as a result of getting his life right with worship and reading God's word, what did it say God what happened? It said God was with him. 
And there was a prospering of his way. There was a sense of the presence of God on him because he honored God in worship and he honored God in his word. And therefore, God was with him. God's presence was with him. I can't imagine it would have been easy what he did, but it was a sense of God on him because he was honoring God in his life. But the fascinating thing I find reading this is submission to God's word actually led to rebellion. Now, normally in church, rebellion is not a good word. Because usually when we hear about rebellion in the Bible, it's usually the people of God rebelling against God and therefore being judged rightly as a result, which is the whole root of our problem way back to the garden. But here, rebelling can actually have a good thing. Why did he, what did he rebel? Well, it says he rebelled against Assyria. And who were Assyria? Well, they were this superpower. They were a massive, violent, pagan nation that would destroyed other nations and kind of absorbed them in. They had destroyed uh, the northern kingdom of Israel already. So they were powerful and they were bloodthirsty, these people. And Ahaz, his father, Hezekiah's father, had made an alliance with Assyria saying, please don't kill us, <laughs> don't wipe us out, we'll be friends and what Ahaz had done is he had taken the treasure from the temple. Now remember the temple in Jerusalem is the, where God dwells. That was his presence were there. So he had removed the treasure from the temple which was God's and given it to a pagan leader. Please don't hurt us. Basically putting his trust in this ungodly king and not in God. And saying, actually, you, I, my, I'd rather bet on you than on God and keeping us safe. And we can see that actually that wasn't a good bet. One, because Assyria had come and already destroyed Israel. And who, who's to say you're not next? But he also meant he wasn't going to, he wasn't trusting in God for his protection, which God had always said, you trust in me. I will watch over you. I'm the one who's going to fight for you. I'm going to look after you. I will keep you safe. But actually he chose to put his faith and trust somewhere else. So what? King Hezekiah did was he rebelled against Assyria and said, no, we will not follow you. We will not be subservient to you. We serve God, the God of Israel, the God of our fathers. We're going to come under your protection, God. And he basically said to the king of Assyria, the Hebrew equivalent of up yours. You know, we're not, we're not going to do it. We're going to rebel against you. We're not going to pay you tribute. We're not going to do it. And if you think about what he did, is that a pretty scary decision? Just... Play that through. He's just had a front row seat to the kingdom next door being utterly wiped out. And they're like, they're there. Armies, chariots. And he's basically said, <laughs> parents must be so proud. I'm just thankful it's not mine. Um, he, he didn't make that decision lightly, but the consequence of that decision could be utterly huge for him. It could be utterly huge for his kingdom, but he chose to put his faith and trust in God first. He trusted in God's word. You will watch over us. You will protect us. I don't need to put my, my faith and trust in man and man's influence. I don't have to give in to fear. They look pretty big and big and scary, but actually my God's bigger and scarier. They were like the giant Goliath, but actually we know the bigger they are, you know, easier to hit. <laughs> Much bigger target, and God will wipe them out in an instant. And if you read through the story, you find out that's what happens to Assyria. 
So he rebelled against Assyria. He rebelled against ungodly influence. The second one, the Philistines. The Philistines were long-standing enemies of Israel. If you go way back to um, the story of David and Goliath, hundreds of years before, Goliath was a Philistine. They had always been harassing God's people. They, were, they, they served false gods and they'd always been kind of influenced. And God had said, don't go near them. Don't have uh, relationships with them. They, they're the enemy. Drive them out. Push them back. Don't let them come and influence you, which is unfortunately the opposite of what God's people did time and time again. And God had to keep saving them. But actually, that, um, Hezekiah took, took the, the word of God seriously and said, actually, no, we won't have anything to do with you. We're going to take back the land that's ours. We're going to fight you. We're not going to have your influence in our life. Yeah, I'm not going to lie down. And it might be a scary, might be a tough decision, but I'm going to go for it. And so the application for us here today is, what do you need to do in tying your house in terms of rebelling? What do you need to rebel against? What are the areas in your life where you're facing compromise? Where you're facing sin? Where you are bowing to ungodly influence? in what you're doing and actually you find yourself giving into them and there's a fear of what would happen if you stood up and said no because they can be big and terrifying just like the nation of Assyria was to Hezekiah what are the things you just need to rebel against and say I will not have have that what are the things you need to go and pick a fight with what are the things you need to say no I'm not going to be on the defensive I'm going to go on the offensive because Hezekiah looked at the Philistines and said, no, you shouldn't be there, I'm coming for you. And he would have got his weapons and he would have got his armor and he would have got his army together and he would have gone out and picked a fight. And he would have gone after them. And it said he fought, he fought them on this territory from the watchtower to the fortress. There was an area. He said, I'm going after you. I'm not letting that lie. What are the areas in your life where there is compromise? What are the areas in their life where you've let ungodly influence in and you need to go after them? What about in the area of your work, whatever you call that? Are there ethical decisions that you are making that actually aren't right with clients or colleagues or bosses or whatever it is on accounts or expenses? Are there things that you're, you're thinking, actually, I'm, I'm going one way when I shouldn't be? What about how you're treating your customers, people you work with, clients and, and service providers and all that? How are you doing that? What about in the office culture gossiping and, and how you're reacting to your boss or those who are under you or those who are around you how are you speaking about those things are there areas of your life that that are actually compromised where there's authority and maybe there's things you're just afraid of if i spoke up about that i don't know what would happen i don't know where i'd be i don't know the reaction i'd get from that individual my boss what would they do are there things you just need to rebel about and say no i won't live like that i'm going to live the way god would have me live what about in your home? How you live there, the things you do there, how you conduct yourself there, if you're married with your spouse, if you have children, if you have people around, siblings. What, how do you conduct yourself there? Are there places where you've given in to um, ungodly influence in how you speak about someone? Are you holding bitterness, unforgiveness, grudges? Are there just things that you, just, you need to get sorted out? Are there conversations you need to have that you haven't had because you're afraid of the consequences or you're afraid of the explosion, you're afraid of something's going to happen, but you need to push for, forwards in there. What about relationships with friends and families? Are there things in those you need to go and actually have confront, deal with, and say, I'm not going to sit back, I'm going to go forward and say, I'm going to deal with this. Whatever it is, 
Make a note of it now. Write it down. Say, I'm going to move forward. Ask for God's grace to help you. Okay, we're going to finish now. Last bit. Hezekiah was a good king. It's described there. He followed God. He was one of the few good kings in the king of Judah. But at the end of the day, he was just a bloke. And if you go to the end of his life, it actually doesn't end particularly well. He makes some mistakes at the end. Starts well, but there's a few pride gets in and it just goes a little bit horrible for him. And I could just sit here and say to you, you need to be better. Be better men of God. Be better women of God and kind of just leave you with that. But what that boils down to is actually you just need to work harder. And if you work hard, you get it. But it's just not the gospel of grace that comes with Jesus. Because the reality is there's a better king than Hezekiah. Jesus is a better Hezekiah. He he wasn't just a good king, he was the great king. He was the king of kings. He was the perfect king, God's chosen one. And when he came, he removed the greatest barrier to worship, our sin in his death on the cross. He didn't just remove it, he destroyed it. He opened the way, that temple curtain was torn so we can enter freely into his presence and worship him. He restored true worship of the Father in heaven. He says, you're worshiping spirit and in truth. No longer do we have to go to a place and go through kind of rituals. It's actually, no, you can worship me whenever because my spirit is in you. And when you gather together, I will be with you by my spirit. Jesus was the word of God himself, made flesh, come amongst us. He knew Got the word perfectly, quoted it and used it, but he actually was the word incarnate. He was God's final word to us. And we're the one we worship. And he perfectly submitted to God, but he also rebelled against the sin, the flesh, and the devil. And he followed God's commands perfectly, regardless of the consequences, which is what led him to the cross and his death in our place for our sin. And so what I want us to leave us today is there are things in your life that you need to sort out. There'll be things that the Holy Spirit is pulling on, but actually all that comes under the grace of God. And the fact that if you're a believer here today, you know him. You have been saved. You have had your sin forgiven. You have been transformed. You can come freely into his presence. He says, whatever it is you're facing, Jesus says, I will help you with it. I am right there with it. It's not based on your effort. It's based on his grace. And his spirit in you. So whatever it is you know you're facing, we'll do a response time in a moment. You know you can go with complete confidence that actually God is with me. His truth will set me free. I can know freedom. I can stand up against whatever thing is coming from me. I can remove the ungodly things from my life. I know I can read his word because he will speak to me through it. And I will be transformed as a result. And that is a wonderful place to be. And my last thing to say today is, If you're not a believer here today, you don't know Jesus, I always want to offer that to you. He's here, he's real, he loves you, he's for you, he wants to get to know you and I'd love to chat with you about that, what that means to have a relationship with him at the end. He loves you so much, he's willing to die for you on the cross and be raised to life so that you could know him and be with him forever. So do you want to stand? Can the band come up? I'm going to pray and then we're going to spend some more time worshipping God together. Maybe you just want to close your eyes.
I'm just going to pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence here amongst us. Lord, we want to thank you for that story of that man, Hezekiah. We want to thank you that his circumstances didn't define him. The mess that had gone on in his life didn't define him. It doesn't matter what his background was, what his, his dad was like, what his family situation was like, the mess he found in him. Lord, you still had your grace available to him and you could use him. Lord, and we thank you that even here today, it doesn't matter even what's happened over the last week, you're here with us and you are going to lead us and stand by us and move forward with us, Lord Jesus. We, we love you for that, Lord. And we pray, Lord, as we finish this time, God, I ask Holy Spirit you'd come and fill us now. I pray you'd fill us to be the men and the women you called us to be, Lord Jesus. I pray that we would be men who remove the ungodly things of our life and restore worship with you in their pockets of our life when it just isn't right. I pray that we'd be men and women who read your word and take it seriously and hold fast to it by your grace. Lord, I pray we'd be men and women who rebel against the things of this world that would influence and pull us away from you ungodly influence and Lord forgive us when we're just afraid and we'd rather trust in things we can see rather than your sovereign hand over all things Lord God and I want to pray particularly on this day for the men amongst us the fathers God I pray you'd raise up mighty men of God in this place Lord like your son Lord who are who are strong but also at the same time meek (laughs) who are willing to be submissive to your word yet rebel violently against things that we need we should not compromise with holy spirit of god i pray you fill us this day i want to say we love you and we praise you god's people said